Remember, we're busy with this letter that John wrote to those Christians. And in this letter, he instructs them a few things. And they will take this letter and come into those synagogues. And they will read, or into the gathering of the Christians. They will read this letter out to the people. And remember what I said about these five-year-olds. Now, this is the Christians. They would sit there in anticipation, waiting to understand what John was going to tell them now. How's, he, how's God going to reveal Himself more to us through the words of John? Because the Holy Spirit inspired John to write the things that he writes down. So he writes this letter to them. And the whole idea of this whole book that he writes, or this letter, is for us to have intimacy with God. To have intimacy, that means oneness, closeness with God. Is that still your desire this morning? To have that closeness with your Creator. You see, I can imagine in my eye, my mind's eye, I can sit down and imagine how those people were sitting there and they can't wait as they pray and talk to God and they introduce this person or they have testimonies. How they can just say, get it out of the way. We want to hear what John has got for us from God. What is in this letter? We've heard eyewitnesses and earwitnesses from other churches, they say, you've got to listen to this letter. Man, God speaking through John, you've got to listen to this. And at last, that letter came into their little assembly, and now somebody's going to stand up and read that letter. And John's purpose, or God's purpose to speak through John, is for the people to come closer to God, to have intimacy with God. Because, dear friends, we have in your hands God's mind. You ask the question, what's on God's mind? There it is. What does God think about abortion? You've got His mind. What does God think about my life? It's there. And these people are now sitting there, and like we are sitting here this morning, and go, what does He want to tell us about love? And we find just in a basic outline that God is light. Chapter 1 and 2 talks about God is light. We find scripture verses like God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Is that true? Absolutely. So how do we become more intimate with God? Well, we look at God who is light and there is no darkness. And if we want to become His servants, His disciples, which means a disciplined one, then we want to walk in the light. And there's no darkness in us. By the way, sin is darkness. Iniquities is darkness. Selfishness is darkness. Pride is darkness. Unforgiveness is darkness. Disobedience. Now we're looking at the children. No. Disobedience from us, little children, is darkness. And in those first two chapters, He talks to us about it. In fact, He tells us how to get out of the darkness into light. He tells us how. We don't need a self-help book out of the library to go and find out what's the ten steps to get it. No, no. He tells us straightforward in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says that if we sin, we have to confess our sins and God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. There's the formula. We come back to God. If you want to have intimacy with God, that's the way you go. 
Oh yes, I know the world doesn't like that and I know that in many churches they don't want to preach it anymore. But dear friends, the last time that I've checked, and that was this morning again, it's written in my Bible. So God is light. Darkness is the absence of light. That's what it is. And if you are starting to take the light of God out of your life, then darkness will enter. So we have to walk in that light. The second part of this letter that he writes to them is God is love. And that is in chapters 2 and 3. And we find it. We're going to read about that verse today, which says God is love. Now, listen to me. He doesn't say God wants to be love. Like we say, we want to love that person, but there are many things that stop us to do that. God is not like that. God is love. God is agape. I don't have to go back on that because a few weeks ago I had that lesson about the love. You remember that? The four types of words for love? And this is the love that is God. Now when, this is the fascinating thing that when we invite God to live in your lives, in your hearts, what are we inviting in? Love. God is love. And in these two chapters, we are still busy with chapter 4, we learn more about God's love. So if we want to have intimacy with God, then we listen to the words which is written down here, and we do those things. He said that we have to put actions to our words. If we see our brother is struggling, you know what we do? We go to him and we put your arms around him and say, Dear brother, we see you are struggling, dear brother. And dear brother, you know what we're going to do, dear brother? We're going to pray for you, dear brother. But in the meantime, we are in a position to help him. And in those two chapters, he says, if you want to have the intimacy of God, get God's love, because God is love. And then, God is life. Those three things. Chapter 5, we're going to come to that. We're going to read about a verse which says, God has given to us everlasting life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everlasting life. It's not a potion that you put on your skin. It is not stuff that you put on your eyelids to look beautiful. It is not a pill that you drink to live one day longer. This is the gospel who takes you into everlasting life. God is giving us that life through His Son. It's all in this letter. You don't have to read the whole Bible today. You just go this afternoon and read the letter. Turn to the person next to you and say, read the letter. Come on. And he will tell you that. Can you see why so many people got excited about this letter? As the news spread, like, like a, a, a fire burning through a bush. And this person was walking there. He says, you know, John's letter came the other day to our church. And man, you've got to listen to that letter. It changed my view of God. It changed my relationship with God. I'm so much more intimate with God now because God's spoken to us through that man. Now this person goes back to his church and he tells him, he says, man, I met this person from that church. And you know what he says? We better get this letter. And at last the letter arrives. And they are eating it like honey. Now let's get into today's part. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. That's where we are. He says, Beloved. I like it when he starts like that, isn't it? Beloved. Beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Everyone who laughs has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not laugh has not known God. For God is love. In this the love of God was revealed in us. Everybody say in. In In this the love of God was revealed in us because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Everybody say through. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation concerning our sins. Beloved, don't you love it? If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. That's where we're going to stop today, God willing. John is actually giving us the call to love. In fact, he calls us to love. In another passage, God commands us to love. It's a commandment. Did you know that? Some people go through life and they say, I can choose who I want to love. It's a choice. Love was never a choice. Love is a commandment from God. If you call yourself today a child of God, well, a Christian then you are commanded to love. John knows this. And he knows that his hearers who's going to hear his words will know this. But he is going over and he calls them back to this love. You remember the, 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 when uh, John writes in Revelation to the church of Ephesus? He warns them, well the Holy Spirit through him, that they've lost their first love. Which is a commandment. In other words, their sin is disobedience. Now, he calls him back to love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love has not known God, for God is love. The ancient Greek sentence here begins in a striking way, in the Greek. It says, Agape toi, agapomen. If you read it in Greek. Agape toi, agape woman. When he starts it. It says, those who are loved, let us love. You catch it? We are loved by God. And because we are loved by God, we are commanded to love. You see, we think of it the other way around. We first want to receive to give. We've already received and now we have to give all the time. This is a stream that can't be stopped. It's unconditional from God. He loves us. He keeps on loving us. Oh yes, He hates sin. That's what the Bible talks about. But He loves us. And the moment we come to Him, we like His children and He loves us. And that's what that word means there. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. And that's what the ancient... So He calls us to a Christian duty and that is to love. That is our duty. Have you ever seen love as being a duty? It is. It is our duty to love. That's the first thing that needs to change in your life. And I want you to notice the words there in verse 7. He says, let us love one another. One another. He doesn't say certain people. Oh, we just love everybody, but that family. There's a few things about that family who irritates me. So I'm a little bit reserved on my love towards that family. Is that God's way? He says, love 
one another. That means we have to love everyone who is in this fold, in this body of Christ. Now you're looking around this church this morning, you go, oh yeah, that's easier this morning, but because I love these brothers generally, we come together, and afterwards we have a cup of coffee, and we talk about things, and that's right, I love them. But what about other brothers and sisters who's not part of this church, who's in another fold? You see, Jesus came and He talked about Jerusalem, He says, I've got sheep in many folds. Well, faults, you mean, know what that means. That's gatherings. And we have to love those brothers and sisters. Last week we heard that we have to taste the spirits. Now that we've tasted the spirits and we know they are brothers of us, we have to love them with the love of God, one another. Now what about those, that, that one who did you something wrong with you, who did you in? What about the one who, who hurt you? What about them? Does the Bible say, love one another except the ones who've hurt you? It says, love one another. You see, when somebody hurts you in the body, you have to forgive them and then move on. And let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is forgetting or forgive them as if it's never, ever happened. That's what forgiveness is. You see, we find so many people, they get somebody in this church and that irritates them or they hurt them and they jump church or hop church to another church. And you see, this is the problem. It becomes a spiritual problem. Because in that church there's going to be somebody who's going to hurt you again and you're going to jump to the next one. And you don't forget, uh, forgive. And it just goes on. You have to break the chain of events. Love one another and not only certain people. You see, because love is of God and we are taught to love. Did you know this? The moment you give your heart to God, because God is love, He comes and lives in us, we are taught that we need to love. This is what it's all about. He's giving us teaching to love one another. It's in His Bible. Look at those words there. Love is of God. God is love. Love is of God. Love is of God. God is love. So if He is love and love is of God, who better to teach us about love than God? And this is what Paul grabbed on when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. In in the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9, he says to them, now to that church in Thessalonica, he says, but regarding brotherly love, brotherly love, brotherly love means in the church environment, brothers and sisters, who's not your black brothers and sisters, but through the Spirit, like you and I are from each other. You see, Brother Bill was born in New Zealand, I was born in South Africa, by the Spirit of God and by His divine uh, uh, knowledge, He brought us together. Now we share a love which is stronger than a love for my blood brother because there's this love through the agape of God and He gives us koinonia, which means fellowship. Am I going too fast? Are you with me now? You see, this is the honey. This is where I enjoy it. When the Spirit of God opens up. And that love there has got a connection between us that's called brotherly love. And now Paul writes to them, he says, but regarding this love, and this love between you and me, Regarding that love, brothers, I do not need to write to you, for you yourself are taught by God to love one another. There you've got it. And by the way, that word there, taught of God, 
comes from the Greek word you see I thought I was going to trip I practiced this word before the sermon and I thought I'm going to say it just like that and they're going to think wow he knows Greek but I didn't you see thank you Lord I'm just like you toy. that Greek word means that we have to we are taught by God and it's the only place in the, in the New Testament where you find this word we are taught of God to laugh that makes me think that makes me think when I read these words that if I do not laugh, then I'm ignoring the instruction, the teaching of God. I'm ignoring it. That means that every single time that I look at a person and I'm, I'm now saved and that person has done something against me and there's unforgiveness, that means every time when there's unforgiveness, I'm ignoring the teaching of God. I'm ignoring the commandment of God. I'm ignoring the instruction of God. And the last time I looked in my Bible, it says it's a sin. Because if I am ignoring the commandment of God, it's disobedience. Have you ever thought of it that way? You might stop loving someone and say, I hate that person. And that person is a child of God. You are sinning, not him. Oh, but he did all of these things to me. And you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do understand. But this I also do understand, that love is of God. And he says that you are taught by God. And we have to forgive. That's the first thing. That person might have moved on in life. He might have asked forgiveness of God. They might have moved to another country, but you are still holding on to that. You have to forgive so that the love of God can wash you clean. God is love, and we are born again through love, and know God through love. Look at these words. I love it. He says, And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. How can we know God then? Because God is love. And this is how we know God. He's going to continue on that sentence for us. So let's get real here this morning. I mean, sometimes we just get into this teaching through and we listen and 10 minutes into it we think, you know, is he going to continue another 20 minutes? Let's get real here. He's calling you and me to laugh. That finger, my dear friends, is pointing to you not away from you. He's calling us. Not your, your wife. Not your father and your mother. Not your husband. He's calling you to love. Because God is love. You claim this morning to be born again, don't you? When people talk to you, they say, oh, no, you know, I've, I've heard that lesson. I've got the knowledge. I'm not just a Christian, I'm a born again child of God. Because you've heard it in a sermon somewhere. But if you are not born again and really saved, my dear friend, you can't experience this love. You say those things. You claim that you know God and He knows you. There are so many people, if you talk, oh yeah, I know God. You try to share to them the gospel and they go, I've got my church. Hey, I didn't say church. I want to know from you, do you have God's love in you? Because He's not calling me only, dear friend. He's calling you into this love, into this commandment. So let's be real. Love means our actions change to benefit others. 
That's what it means. Our actions change to benefit others. You see, that's totally different from the world's perspective, isn't it? The life according to the world means give, 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 give. And the more you give to me, then I know you love me. But this goes totally against the stream. This is give, 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 give. And the more you give, the more it shows that you love. Expecting nothing back. Unconditional. And you find it so many times in a marriage that if there's problems in a marriage, the one will say, you know, but I give all the time, but I never receive something back. Well, hello, the Bible says life is giving. And the more you give, in the true sense of God's Spirit, the more you will receive. Maybe not from that person, but you will receive it from God. Amen. Thank you for that, brother. You will receive it from God. So love means this. So let's have a look at the example. Going back to Luke chapter 3. You know, there's two places in the Bible that talks about fruit. The Bible says we have to bear fruit. John chapter 10 talks about it. We are like the vine and we are planted into Christ and we bear His fruit. But there's two places. In Galatians it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But this is another fruit, the fruit of repentance. And what did we say? What happens with repentance? With repentance we, we invite God into our lives, into our hearts. And we just saw that God is love. So we invite love into our hearts. And I just told you now in that previous statement, love means our actions change to benefit others. Let's see what John the Baptist told people to do. In Luke chapter 3 verse 10, he was baptizing John at Bethabara. And the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Hey John, you talk about these things, but what shall we do? And look at his answer. He says to them, He who has two coats, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. See what changed here. Their actions changed so that they can benefit others. Before this time, they were collecting those coats. Before this time, or before the repentance, before the cross, it was all about me, myself and I. The more I've got, the more people will see that I'm successful in life. And if I've got this one, I want a better one next time. That's not love, that's selfishness. And they came to John the Baptist and they say, what shall we do? And John says, hey, listen, after the cross, after you come to Christ, your actions need to change to benefit others. So if you've got two of those really expensive coats that you have, look around you if you can find one who hasn't got and give it away. He doesn't say, hey, go out and trade me and put it on there for $50 starting bit. He says, give it away. And I've found so many times in my time, in, in my short space that I had the privilege to preach God's Word and to see this happening in people's lives, how a person changed, who are so, everything is for me, how they change and start giving stuff away. <laughs> It is amazing. Because friends, once you come to God, you realize that nothing that you've got belongs to you. All belongs to Him. You say, wait a minute, we've got to put our tithing in the box. I'm not interested in your tithing, dear friends. Because tithing is an Old Testament principle. In the New Testament, everything belongs to Him. In the Old Testament, things belong to Him. That's a different teaching. Fantastic. You belong to Him. Didn't you say that? Didn't we say, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me? 
Your body doesn't belong to you. Doesn't Paul come out and he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Didn't you come by yourself and say, hey, wait a minute, I've been crucified with Christ. Didn't we read all of that in Romans chapter 6, which says the old man died and now the new creation, all things become new. Didn't we all say that? This is all that John says here. He says, if you've got two codes, give one away. And if you have food, they didn't do likewise. Oh, you should see my food cupboard. It's full. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. When any disaster strikes, man, I'm going to live like a king. But what about the Christian brother who are not prepared? Are you going to help him? You know, I was uh, a few years with this Tamiflu, that, uh, the Tamiflu capsules that came out for bird flu. I was with a Christian and we were driving and he was telling me this. He says, I've already ordered in my family flu and I'll tell you what, I'll keep it for my family. And I was sitting there and thought, geez, you know what, I didn't order any. I wonder. I wonder if I come to you, but you know, I've already got the answer. I should not knock on your door. And then I realized something else. I don't need family flu, I've got the gospel. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it didn't cost me a penny. And freely I give that, like this morning. You see, he goes on in Luke uh, verse 12. He says, a tax collector also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Continue to do no more. Continue to do no more than that commanded you to do. What the tax collectors did is they were stealing money. The government, the Roman government would come down to them and say, I want you to collect a hundred dollars. I'm just, you know, translating it to New Zealand terms. I want you to collect a hundred dollars a week. They would go around and tell all the people in the area, you've got to pay $150 tax. They would give 100 up to the government and they will pocket 50. That's why, when you talk about tax collectors, they, they didn't like them, because they were really stealing people's money. I see that Pietro is laughing now, you know, smiling. But, you know, don't feel, you know, it's not... <laughs> There's hope for tax collectors. Everybody say, Amen. <laughs> Look at Levi. He was a tax collector. And God came to him and said, follow me. But you see, this is what he told them. Do not do that. In other words, let your, let your actions change to benefit others. Instead of going around... I understand that they had to do their business. Instead of... And, and this is the big thing, how they, st- how they steal the money. The government would say, take 100, they will take 150. But the government will give them a kickback maybe of $20. So they were pocketing 70 instead of 20 he says, hey, cut off the 50. That was a big decision for a tax collector. That was a huge decision. Now let me put it into your language. Let me come to you and say, listen, from tomorrow, this week, when you get paid weekly, I want you to pay over to us $400. Is that going to affect you? Is that going to have an impact on you? If you say no, I want to be your friend. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's going to be an impact on you. It was a huge impact on them. And he tells them, let your actions change to benefit others. Don't take too much from those people. The soldiers also asked of him, they say, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not forcibly extort, extort one another, uh, anyone, nor accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. Be content. So what is the meaning of love and its application? We're back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was revealed in us because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Isn't that fantastic? In this is love. 
Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the probation concerning our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see, the love of God is revealed in us. This is the key point here. I want you to grasp this. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. If you say those words, then the love of God needs to be revealed in you. It's not something which you tag on, like a backpack. It is in you. You walk all around with it. Man, I'm going to see people walking tomorrow morning around and say, Hey, you know, I'm like a salt pot. I've got love in me. You just shake me and love will come out. Is that really what's coming out? I want to ask you something which a good old friend told me years ago, Louis Malara. He said, you know, if somebody takes you and turns you around and takes you by the ankles and they shake you, what's going to fall out of your pockets? <laughs> but you see what he actually was meaning is if somebody shakes your cage what's jumping out is it love or is it gee boy you don't shake this because you're going to see the tiger jumping out you just, you just take me on and I'll show you what you do man I'm going to pick up this phone and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind because they are wrong and I'm right. Oh yeah, that's right. If they are wrong and you're right, give them a call, but don't give them a piece of your mind. Just tell them they are wrong. But do it in love. You see, because love has been revealed in us. Because God sent His only begotten Son into the world. His love is in us, and it was for our benefit. Did you know that? How was His love for our benefit? Because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's for our benefit. That's how God showed it to us. That is the meaning of love and that was the application from God for the love. He says, man, I'm not going to ask you something which I won't do myself. I'm going to do it and show you how to love and that's the application in your lives. And we can compare this to a dead body because we become dead in our trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2. Go and read the whole Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about that. Trespasses are sin. It kills us spiritually. Did you know that? It takes away our freedom to talk to God. What about Adam in the Garden of Eden? When they ate of the fruit, what did they do? They heard the voice of God and they hid from God because they were ashamed of what they did. And they were dead in their, in their spiritual sins. They were immediately dead. They didn't have that intimacy with God. Now if you take a, a dead person and you take the condition of a dead soul, it's the same. There's no vision. I've been next to dead people. Can you talk to that person and say, excuse me, can you tell me what's your vision? There's no vision. And what about a dead soul, a person who's dead in their trespasses? You talk to a person, listen to me, they are just floating through life. I'm not asking you this morning, I'm telling you that somebody who hasn't come to Christ, this is the purpose for us to come into this world, is to find our Maker. To have peace with Him. If you are not there, you are just floating through life. You are jumping from one high to another high and in between the highs there are huge valleys. And sometimes people are caught up in those valleys down there. And terrible things happen in valleys. Do you know that? No boy, uh, listen to me. No, no beloved, let me use that word. No beloved, I don't want to jump from one high to another high. I want to have Christ in my life. And He leads me through. And I can live through Him. And I can have the love through Him. 
With a dead person there is no feeling. Have you noticed that? There is no feeling. You touch them, there is no feeling. And in a spiritual dead sense there is no feeling. In a dead person there is no hearing. Have you tried to talk to the dead? You can't. And in, in a sense, and we've had that before, they don't hear you. But God is not willing, dear friends, that anyone should perish. Somebody say hallelujah. And that is why He given us His Son. Christ gives us life. And this is what He says, that we might live through Him. And God's desire and His will for us is that we might live through Christ. This is big words. This is, this is the honey. He says in Galatians 2 verse 20, The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. In 1 John 5 verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. He gives us that life. That's the application. And that life gives us love in your hearts. So what is the nature of love? Relationship with God. Verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. And His love is perfected in us. I like this. You know, he says, no one has seen God at any time. Have you, have you seen that? People come to me and say, oh, wait a minute. There's all these books that are selling there where people are went to heaven and they saw God. Now, let me ask you, are they right or are they wrong? What does the Word of God say? No one has seen God at any time. What about Moses? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the bus right here. This is where the Bible contradicts itself. Because way back in Moses' day, he says, I'm talking to Moses as face to face, as one to one. Moses hasn't seen God because I read of a passage when he tells God, he says, God, I want to see your face. And God said, Moses, you cannot bear to see my face. Go into the cleft of a rock. And as I pass by, you can have a look. And he saw God from the back. You see, dear friends, and, and that's a huge study, and, and, and I haven't got time this morning. Some people think that God is like us. Hold on to this. They think that God is like us. He's got two legs, He's got two arms, ten fingers, ten toes, a head, ears, nose, and everything. But when you go into the Gospel, and John talks about Him in John chapter 4, He says, God is Spirit. Now what we do is we bring God down to our level and we expect Him to look like us. And where do we get the Scripture verses for that? Well, He says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God said, let us make man into our image and into our likeness. And because we are in His image and His likeness, He looks like us and we look like Him. No, it's not true. God is Spirit. And no one has seen Him. John says it here. John relates to a basic principle about God the Father that no one, yes, no one has seen God at any time. What about Paul? Paul says, I know of a man who's been caught up into heaven, into the third heaven. But he doesn't say he saw God, did he? He says, I saw things which is inexpressible. I can't express it to you. What about John? He went up in Revelation and he saw, I've read, I've, I've, been, I've been through in, in New Zealand through Revelation twice. In South Africa, I've been through it four times. And every time when I come to Revelation chapter 4, I read about the throne and it explains to us what's on the throne. He hasn't seen God's face. Why? Because you and I can't live in these bodies and see His face. We need that resurrected body. There's great teaching. There's a lot of things that I just said. Anyone claiming to have seen God, the Father is speaking, well, I want to say at best, 
from their own imagination because as John plainly stated here, no one has seen God at any time. And I stay with what John sees. And it's an important statement because there will be people coming out and tell you, oh, I've got this knowledge. I've got this hidden wisdom knowledge. You know what I call them? Not I. You know what they are called? Gnostics. Gnostics. That's what they are called. They've got deeper, listen to this, deeper revelation. You see, we need to talk to you so that you can also get that deeper revelation. (laughs) I need the Holy Spirit who will reveal and teach me about all things. I don't need the deeper revelation. So, if no one has seen God, what evidence do we have of Him in us? What evidence? It's a good question, isn't it? No one has seen God, so how would we know? You see, because there are some people who think that the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is power. How many times have you heard people shouting and, and shouting out and say, Power! Oh, God's power! And oh, we want the Holy Spirit to have power! That will be the evidence of God. No. It is also one of the evidences of God. And we know about the disciples as they moved through and they preached the word. What followed them? Miracles and, and workings of God. But it never ever exceeded the word of God. It never went before the word of God. There are some people who think that the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is popularity. Do you know that? Oh, there are many people and preachers who are, who are moving the popularity arm. Oh, if we become popular in our community, if everybody knows us, then that's a sign that we've got God in us. And we will plaster our faces on billboards and we will get on here and we will get on there and the more people know, the more popular I become. The one problem with that is you you can become so popular in yourself that you haven't got God in you. You become so important in yourself and people that you miss, you miss God totally. And it's all about me, myself and I and my ministry. So there's some people who think that's the presence, that's the, the evidence. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence uh, is, or the work is passionate feelings. You get so people, they are so passionate about it. Passion. Oh, I've got the passion for God and the passion for God. Well, you know, God warns against that. He says, I've seen your zeal. You are so busy with the things of God, but I want you to become busy with the God of the things. So people think that's the evidence of But dear friends, according to this word, the greatest evidence of God's presence and work is love. Love. A small child can do it. You don't have to be a very good speaker and you can do it. You see, love is all about show. It shows God is amongst us if you do it. If we love one another, God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. So finally, let me remind you about one thing this morning. What is that? You are called to love. How is your love this morning? How is your love? You see, the one person who who could have irritated Christ the most, one of those could be Pilate. He could be Herod. It could be Barabbas. You remember when he stood there and and I cried out to the crowd and said, who do you choose, Jesus to love or Barabbas, that murderer? 
You know, Christ could have stood there and said, it could have irritated him so much. He could have turned to God and said, that, is that how low, how low I have gone according to these people? Lord, I hate them for putting that money. You know, he could have done that, but he didn't. Because he demonstrated love. You see, he was called to love to this world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. At that point in time, Christ was called to love us. And when he hung on that cross, and they stamped it in down in the ground, and those people were still crying out, through the agony of pain, he was looking down at them, and he looked up at the Father, and he says, Father, please forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That, that, to me, is love. That is God in him. He was a man just like you and me. He lived like you and me. There were people who were gossiping about him. His very own brothers and sisters called him a madman. Did you know that? And he turned, when he heard those words, when his own family turned on me, he said, who is my brothers and my sisters but those who do the will of God? His very own disciples turned upon him. You remember when they ran away? Peter, three times he denied him. There was only one who stayed at the cross. It was John, the one who writes about his love. The one who gives you and me the letter of love. He was the only one. When all the others ran away, he was at the cross. But still when he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. So you and I this morning are called to love. And I just want to say this, final words, and then we'll pray. Don't say it. Do it. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, the words of John is ringing in my ears. And it's burning on my heart. And I want to pray this morning and thank you for this letter that you inspired through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of John, for this church here in Rothsey Bay. We call ourselves Agape, Christian Ministries, Lord. But you call us more than that. You call us your children. And Father, in this morning I want to thank you for your word and for your call to love. Help us, Lord, that our actions benefit others. Help us to understand, Lord, that nothing belongs to us. Every single heartbeat that we've got belongs to you. Every bright thought and idea belongs to you because you created it in everyone here's brain. You gave us our, <laughs> you gave us our uh, IQ, Lord. Intelligence comes from you, Lord. And anything at any moment can happen and can be taken away from us. 